This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 265. And the quote of the day is from Ernest Hemingway, who said, There is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And want to let you know, I got something special for you guys through Drum Magazine. So I had a meeting with them, uh, I guess it was like two weeks ago or so. Uh, they're out here in the Bay Area as well. So I went and met up with them and they are giving away six months free of Drum Magazine for the Drummers Resource podcast listeners. So all you have to do is go to drummersresource.com forward slash magazine and it'll redirect you to the Drum Magazine website. You'll be able to put in your info and they'll start sending you the episodes or the, the, uh, the, the magazine and you will get six months free. You can get digital and print together. If you live outside of the United States, you can only get the digital, but still you get it all for free. No strings attached. Just go over there, enter your info and they will start sending that to you. And that's only for drummers resource podcast listeners. So it's just a special deal that we worked out. This isn't like an ad or a promo or anything like that. It's just something that they're doing. So you can go over to drummersresource.com forward slash magazine. That'll bring you to their site. You can sign up and do all that fun stuff. So awesome of drum magazine to do that. And I suggest that you take advantage of it. It's a great magazine. I, I love drum. I've been reading it for years. So I uh, actually got a copy right here and uh, yeah, definitely check it out. Drummersresource.com forward slash magazine and get your free subscription now. Also, um, another thing, a lot of you have been leaving rating and reviews for the podcast. I really do appreciate that. That's uh, very awesome of you. And if you haven't already, if you like the podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. Reason being that helps the podcast show up higher in the search results and lets more people know about the podcast. So if you could do that, I'll love you for it. And if you don't want to do that, I love you anyway. So uh, just being honest here. So let's get into this session with Rodney Howard. So Rodney is a, I, I like to say he's, he's a journeyman. We talk about it a little bit uh, or a lot in the, in the conversation, but he has been playing primarily. He's been doing a lot of work with Avril Lavigne and sort of, you know, that's like the, the really big name, but he's, he's, Done. I mean, he's played with everybody, and we talk about this whole entire thing, his career of how he's he's been this journeyman. He's played with all of these different people, all of these different styles, and the differences of specialists and generalists and whether one is better than the other and things like that. And I'd love to get your feedback on that. So if you want to comment on this, go over to drummersresource.com forward slash session 265. And Rodney and I have known each other for a while. We've been emailing back and forth for years now and met up at NAM. I think that was two years ago, um, but have just sort of been in communication back and forth. I know he listens to the podcast as well, which is amazing that that someone of his stature listens to it. And But I've been trying to get him on for a while, and we've just been going back and forth. And finally, the day has come that he's here. He's such a great dude, an amazing player, has a ton of insight, has a ton of, of knowledge we talk about learning tunes. We talk about, I mean, we talk about all sorts of stuff. We talk about humility. We talk about how he's, how he's, you know, played in front of 30,000 
thousand people. And then the next night is playing at a bar gig in front of 10 people and the humility required to be able to do those sorts of things. So just a tremendous amount of information. So I'm going to stop yapping and I'm going to get into it with my man, Rodney Howard. Here we go. Rodney, my man, how are you today? What's happening, Nick? Thanks for having me on, man. Of course, I appreciate man. it. Of course. I'm glad to have you. We have um we've I mean, you and I have we've been, I think we've been exchanging emails for years uh on a bunch of different stuff. We connected through through Boso, finally got to ham at ham at Nam. Hang at Nam. Oh, <laughs> oh you uh, could say ham at Nam. That happens. We, we were hamming. As well. We were hamming ha- up ham at Nam. Ham is not, you know, it's not unheard of for people to ham at Nam. Right. That was that was a while, but I mean that was a couple <laughs> years ago now. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, that might have been one of the last ones. I, I've, I've skipped a couple of years. I don't blame you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's sporadic. A gr- it's a great hang, but it's it's overwhelming to uh, to say the least. You know, it really is. And, uh, you know, I won't ever look a gift horse in the mouth of at least the last couple of years. I'd say like every other year I've, I've been doing working or, or overseas or something. So I guess if you have to miss Nam, that's that's a good reason. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> better it's than being so better than like being bummed out about not having gigs and being like man I'm just not gonna go so, <laughs> right yeah so I mentioned off air and I'll, and I'll send it to you but I'll put it in the show notes too so everybody can see it. there's a picture of me you and the owner from Boso Drumsticks my buddy Dave and we're, we got a picture outside and then above us it says there's the hot dog truck behind or there's a truck behind us and it says like corn dog I don't know what the other two. I think you're Rodney like, Corn Dog, Corn Dog, Hot Dog, and, and sausage. I think it says, and I think I'm under the sausage, of course. So like they, they put sausage, the Italian oh, guy. On. See, now you didn't mention that. Mention the sausage off the air. That's amazing. <laughs> that makes it even. You just freshen the story up a little bit for the yeah. for the podcast. I like that. You took it up a notch. I gotta save some for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine you're good at that by now. <laughs> uh, but I'll send it. To, it's a it's a comical picture to to say the least, and we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll throw it up on the show notes too. But uh, before we get sort of deep into your career, I want to. There's a bunch of stuff that I want to talk to you about. I know that you've been spending time. You were in New York. You're in New Orleans, you're doing all this, all this different stuff, but how did, where did it all start for you? Like, how did you, how did you first get the drumming bug? Um, I first got the drumming bug, like many people, I was absolutely not one of those child prodigies that was, you know, had a father or brother playing drums. Uh, my father was a musician, is a musician. Um, and so was his brother. And they were actually, I guess you'd say back in those days, like, uh, gifted amateurs like uh, they, you know, I grew up in the South. I grew mm-hmm. up in North Carolina. Whereabouts? And I had uh, in a, a little town that you promise you you've never heard of called Moncure, North Carolina. And uh, anybody, anybody listening to this that's ever met met me and heard me talk about it, they're probably I'm tired of this line. But I always say it literally doesn't have a stoplight to this day. Really? I think maybe they graduated to like a blinking yellow light. So where, where is that though? So it's really small. Um, <clears throat> these days it's not as remote as it was, you know, being that, you know, infrastructure gets built up and you have uh, four lane highways. It used to take about almost an hour to get to Raleigh, North Carolina. So okay. s- first of all, central state. So Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, for any of you NCAA types, you know, with uh, University of North Carolina, NC State, Duke, mm-hmm. you know that whole thing. 
you know, that was pretty ubiquitous in my upbringing, although I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a sports fan at all. I was going to say, I'm a Villanova <laughs> fan, so we're gonna, we'll just skip right over the... Uh, we did we won last year, though. That's good. good. <laughs> I'm one of those sports guys that checks in with the uh, sports. I check in with sports as cultural events. Like, okay, you got to see the Super Bowl, right? Right. You know what I mean? You see the World Series. It's more of a cultural thing than it is a sports guy thing, you know? I'd actually like to go to every one of the sport the final games like i'd love to go i mean i've been to the world series i, I watched the phillies win the world series i'm oh, a huge, wow i'm nice. a huge phillies fan and got to see him win the world series so i'm like i'm that's good enough for me but would love to go to the super bowl you know the go to the masters like like you said but for oh, like yeah, the cultural yeah. experience not because i'm this big sports fan i just think it'd be kind of cool actually you know it's funny i played the masters once uh, we're kind of skipping all over the place like uh, but uh, i played the masters once with gavin DeGraw. I thought, I, was, like, like, I thought you and were like touring and I was like, oh, you're like not being a sports guy. You thought I just popped it on you that I was like uh, in the mess. professional. <laughs> like, yeah, man, you know, I'm not a sports guy anymore. But drumming's my second career. And, yeah, uh, I was kicking yeah. around there for a little while. I was in the Masters once, but we'll for, yeah. it in the tennis game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before I picked up some sticks back in North Carolina. Yeah, <laughs> so back to North Carolina. I'm sorry. I, I I will don't allow me to do that. You give me a long enough leash, I'll be all over the road. I like it. Um, so I, I grew up in a in a musical family, but it certainly wasn't one of those, you know, where it's like my dad was, you know, playing sessions with Steely Dan or anything, you know, right. that kind of thing. And I played saxophone in the high school band at Northwood High School in North Carolina and uh, in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Hmm. Again, my hometown wasn't even big enough to have anything other than an elementary school. So I had to bus out, <laughs> right. uh, you know. And that was back in the days where you couldn't just pop on YouTube and, and, and be, you know, basically the world was much smaller than, I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. much larger than, yeah you know, yeah, much yeah. larger in the sense that like, you know, if you heard a record or you heard of a band you'd never heard of, your your friend or your brother or somebody had to turn you on to it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting concept of, of not having YouTube and not having sort of this self-discovery when it comes to music. When, you know, when I was coming up and when you were growing up, I think you're a little older than me, but I think that we grew up sort of in the same time where like I didn't grow up with the internet and, and YouTube sure. and all that stuff and all, all that stuff those fandangled kids have nowadays. But <laughs> but um, but it's interesting how much of an influence the people who you're hanging out with have on you. So like I grew up, my brother listened to hip hop. That's all he listened to. So I grew right. up listening to old school hip hop, but or it wasn't old school then, but and but like right. i was so much younger i was my brother six years older than me and you know in the world of music that's a long time so i have, all, I have like this sophisticated taste of hip-hop when i'm like nine you know which is kind of crazy so i know so i'll get guys on here that are older and we'll start talking about hip-hop and they're like no no no, i'm talking about real hip-hop and i'm like uh who do you let's let's start talking about it. and then like oh, oh right. you do know all this <laughs> stuff i'm like yeah because that's that's what I grew up with. And there's so many people who I've had on here that are like, I learned this from an older sibling or someone down the street or whatever. Not okay. I went online and found this stuff. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. I think it happens more organically that way. And I think I've been thinking about this lately, probably to be honest, because I knew I was going to be doing a podcast with you and I didn't, I want to have something to say, <laughs> but I've been thinking about how, uh, it's, at least as far as, you know, I've noticed on this podcast, you speak a lot about the difference between YouTube chops and actually real 
real life chops that right. you will actually use to play more than one type of gig. Now, uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with going, no, I like these two kinds of music or these three, and that's all I like, and that's all I ever want to do. And if I can't do those, I don't have no interest. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, mm-hmm. They're really famous drummers. I remember reading an article with Neil Peart a long, um, long time ago where he said, yeah, I am interested in doing what I do. I'm not interested in being one of those guys that does everything, and I never right. have been. It's like what touches me touches me, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I did notice uh, when I was didn't realize when I was thinking about this is that when you're young and you have a limited amount of input as a drummer. And for me, I guess looking back on it, my dad's collection was a lot more eclectic than I realized. Right. Is that when you sit down with with, you know, records and learn to play along with drums with, you know, I never had a drum teacher. I think maybe when I was in college, I actually took lessons with a jazz drummer that was, you know, more bebop oriented, but, um, I never had a lesson. So I literally was just figuring things out for myself. And the great thing about having limited amount of input is that a, you don't have a million things to play along with mm-hmm. and you get bored with your favorite things. So of course, you know, you learn your favorite. And my dad had like, he had everything from like James Brown to like Al Green to Elvis to like, country records, Merle Haggard and Charlie Pride. And like, it was like all the very, very different kinds of music. And I noticed when I would learn to play along with those records, I didn't realize at the time, but I was learning how to play things and feel things that weren't as natural to me. Mm-hmm. You know, so were if you I, into the music or was, was it just like, well, this is all we have in the house. So I, this is the stuff I'm going to learn. You know, I was, you know, a, a lot of people, I, I, I tend to joke about the, the smallness of my hometown and everything. And it was really small, but I have to say I've met other people from small towns as smaller, smaller. And I think by comparison, I was lucky because I had a lot of different kind of people in my house. I mean, this guy that my dad worked with used to bring over like 45s of like, his new favorite, like soul and R and B. Like I remember him coming over in the afternoon and turning on Soul Train and going, and it was Elton John on Soul Train. Wow! You know, he was like, "Oh, it's my favorite show." It's like, you know, check out this. You know, he's, he's he didn't even know who Elton John was. Right, and <laughs> Elton John when he first came over was like he was playing a bunch of like funky stuff, like really groove heavy, like funkier stuff. I. This isn't necessarily the most important thing in this podcast, but you, we've tripped over one of my favorite <laughs> That's a, that's favorite a good things. preference. No, but this is great. I, I was just telling somebody about this. When I start ranting about this record and people, you know, they have an idea of Elton John. I'm like, go get a live record called 11770. And forgive me if I've got my sevens mixed up, but man, it's him and the trio. And they are coming from like R&B and people forget Elton John can play piano man bro he can throw down going back to my Gavin days again we opened for him once where he was doing a solo piano gig and I stood 20 feet from him and watched him play gospel and R&B all night and I'm like man that was the truth killing so that trio is kind of coming at it from, I guess, as rock as you could say a piano trio is going to get. Right. But if you ever want to really just get curious about like where Elton John's really coming from, check that record out. Like you there's know, some deep. Do you know where his stuff. first record or his first gig was in the United States? Uh, didn't he play with Tina Turner, right? CBGBs. Oh, you mean first gig? Yeah. Yeah. First I gig ever. Yeah. Did yep. you know that he used to play in, in Tina's band? Uh, no. 
he, yeah, man, he was playing for real, like, high energy. Should I have known RB. that? Well, I mean, I don't know. Is that, like, common? Because I never, I never knew that. If we were at a bar, I would, like, bet you a drink and, like, try to get some free drinks <laughs> off you for the information, you know. But <laughs> but anyway, I talk about digressing. <laughs> but anyway, I had a lot of different records in the house. That was that was, that was was one of them, actually. It's, um, the, you know, records like that. But my point about that is, is that you're forced sometimes to – not forced, but if you get it in your ear and things that don't necessarily lay on your hands and feet as easily, you know. Mm-hmm. And right. it – I guess looking back, it actually gave me the basis for playing a lot of different kinds of music. I've sometimes I'm really glad that I played such radically different kinds of gigs. And to be honest, I look at some of friends of mine that whose whose career has kind of been much more logical in the same vein of things, mm-hmm. you know. And I sometimes wish maybe I had you know done more than done you know a little more similar work than, right. than I have. But you know, then again. I got nothing gonna play, to complain about. I mean, I've had some great gigs. I've had pretty yeah. great. You know, uh, so yeah. Knock wood. Yeah. Knock wood. I'm very grateful, as they say, overused hashtag grateful, but you know, <laughs> way overused. But um, actually, the overused one is humbled. People tend to use the hashtag humbled when I'm like, dude, you do not sound humbled. Right. <laughs> you sound like you're bragging. I just bought a Ferrari. Humbled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I could talk about that all day. But so how um, how old were you when you first started playing? Uh, let me see. I started playing really late. I was like, junior, I'm going to say beginning of junior year high school. So I don't, did you ever do the comparison thing where you look at someone that you looked up to and then you figure out when they either started playing or when they hit, like got their big gig or whatever. And if you weren't there yet, then you would <laughs> feel like you're, like at that same age, you know, if you're like, oh man, they were doing this by the time they were 25 and I'm 25 now and I'm not, I'm not doing it yet. I I absolutely have done that. And the reason why I asked, because you and I started playing drums around the same time. I started when I was 15. So by like, by a lot of standards, that's late. Like we were, we were were late in the game. By, by, I don't want to sound too haughty, but like by, high-end standards, meaning the guys that are in this industry working. Right. Nine times out of ten, when I talk to them, these are guys that were, you know, like, for instance, uh, I'm talking about all over the place. I used to sub on Lion King with with Tommy Igo. Right. And Tommy's dad was, like, one of the most famous drum teachers in the tri-state area Mm -hmm. up up here in New York. And so he was, you know, playing in the womb. You know, and I talked to other people that I know. And, like, God, you know, like, for instance, going back to my uh, friend, I don't know if this was off podcast you're not talking about my friend terrence higgins from uh new orleans who's mm-hmm. done a podcast for yeah, you. amazing yeah. drummer i mean all those cats are playing you know that's a whole other thing in new orleans though they're they're playing culturally even right. if they're not that's like they're quote, not necessarily studying but they are literally playing and living that music since mm-hmm. they can walk yeah you know so that's a very different thing but yeah i do that comparison yeah, yeah. i mean thomas Pridgen won the guitar center drum off when he was nine yeah, exactly. you know, and I'm like, I wasn't even thinking about playing. I did play. I mean, I played piano for about 10 years, uh, but I always say, so if you need anyone to play Mary Had a Little Lamb, I'm your guy because <laughs> that's about all I can play right. now. Um, so how did you was it was it was that comparison game that you played? Did it fuel the fire? Like, how did you sort of get over that? Because I think we all do that. And it's such a it's such a detrimental thing to your, to your psyche, to your playing, to your progress. You know, how did you deal with it? I, 
Well, the simple answer is this. I had made a decision that I was going to do it as hard as well as I could do it. And and I just decided that nothing was going to stop me. And I was going to if I was going to fail, it was going to be because my best wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And so that was the simple answer. So and the the more, I guess, cosmic answer is I've noticed that there's a lot of guys, for instance, I mentioned like virtuosos like Tommy, like a lot of guys start out and it's I've noticed sometimes when it comes easily to them or or if it's something that they took for granted at an early age there is a weird zone around say the one will say late teens and 20s where they don't work as hard as a guy who just started doing it four years ago yeah so if you took let's say let's say there's me in this fictional virtuoso that's he started at age nine but I started at age 17 well who do you think was working harder at age 20 Right. If we're the same age, right, you look right. where he is. What is he doing on a Tuesday afternoon versus what I'm doing on a Tuesday afternoon? Right. And I'm working very much harder. Now, listen, there is no I'm not saying there's a such thing as I don't know if the hard work can overcome natural ability and, you know, a lifetime exposure to a certain thing. Mm-hmm. But um, it can at least know, get you I in the arena. Yeah. And, you know, there are guys who are smarter about it. There's guys that, you know, there are guys who maybe there's nothing wrong with having uh, aspirations. But um, I know guys who only want to play super complex music. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But you also have to realize, like, okay, well, are you going to get to the level you want to be by the time you're whatever? I mean, some people do. I don't know. Some people are prodigies. Everybody learns at a different rate. Right. But I do know. There's a big difference between like musical accomplishment and then there's that crossover. There's musical accomplishment and then professional wisdom. And then there's that, that area where they both meet, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I know we all know guys that go, hey, I'm the groove guy and this is what I do. Right. And I know guys who go, you know, I'm the metal guy and I couldn't lay down, you know, a, a good fat funk groove to save my life. But who cares? Because I'm a metal guy. And that's what I do. There's nothing wrong with any of that, you right. know? Right, right, right. But um, but getting back to the, the, I've often wished like God, you know, I'm wish I had stayed in one zone more than the other because I mean my my notable gigs that anybody's ever heard of are pretty pretty different, you know. Yeah, they're pretty radically different, you know. That's good though. It is good, and I've had actually to be strictly musical and not be about you know professionalism and money and gigs is that as a human being experiencing. Music, I've been really lucky. There's a big difference between experiencing playing with Regina Spector and playing with uh, Talia mm-hmm. or Avril Lavigne. It's a huge difference, you know, and, yeah. and they're all amazing in their own ways, but it is a very, very different musical experience. And I've been lucky in the respect that I know friends of mine that will never have that varied of an experience, you know? Yeah, yep, because they're so and then, myopic about things. You know, well, I don't know about my epic as much as, you know, I think sometimes organically, I'm trying to think of a good example that everybody would know, like of all of our heroes. I mean, you couldn't like a good, a good opposite example of that would be someone like Vinny, who's done every type of gig ever in yeah, history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if and they killed it the all. style tomorrow, he would take a year or two, get it down and he'd end up playing with the top. Yeah. He'd record a, a record with the top artist of that genre. Of course. You know. And then you have guys that are just, uh, you know, that basically have always been like, yeah, I'm the serious hard rock guy or Mm -hmm. I'm the pop guy or I'm the whatever, you know. Right. And uh, those identities help a lot professionally. Sure. You know, it helps a lot, which I don't have that. I'm kind of all over the road (laughs) with that. Oh, so you're saying you wish you would have been more 
focused on one Some, thing. Sometimes I wish. And then I look at my life and I go, you know what? There's nothing wrong with having experienced a lot of different kinds of things. It's cool. You I know, wonder it's cool. what it's I wonder what it's like because I'm not that guy either. Like I wonder what it's like to just be the jazz guy. You know? Exactly. Because what happens exactly. in twenty years, you're like, shit, I want to be like the funk guy now. And they're like, Well, <laughs> you can't do that now. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can, but oh, yeah. I think it's harder, you know. I think it's harder to make that to make that transition. So when you said one of the things, speaking of overused words, we were talking about, you know, hard work and, and hustling and, and all that. Um, so what did that look like for you when you said you're all right, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to do this. What did that look like in terms of, let's say, like your practice routine or, or how you were networking or how you were getting gigs? Because I, I like I like those tactical things that the listeners can take away and say, OK, I'm going to put this into my practice routine or I'm going to, you know, did you sacrifice things so that you could practice? Did you, you know, absolutely. And, and so yeah, I let's mean, talk about that a little bit. Well, I'll try to keep it brief through the the, the uh, timeline thing. But like when once the drum bug bit me in high school, I got a pair of sticks from my best friend that was the drum captain while I was playing saxophone. And I just the simplest uh, answer I remember Dave Weckl saying this once in a clinic. It's like, hey, keep the sticks in your hands as much as possible. How about we start there? Right. That's a very simple and profound thing because that means not doing a lot of things that other kids, if you want to talk about kids are doing or adults or whatever, you know? So I did that in high school. I came straight home after school and played my drum set. You know, I eventually, I didn't have a drum set at the time, but I got into marching band, barely good enough to play snare drum line. Cause I just started the year before mm -hmm. and I worked that really hard. And then believe it or not, I actually ended up uh, auditioning and going to uh, school at East Carolina university. Hmm which is a great music school. I looked it was at kind Carolina. of at that time. Really? No kidding. Yep. So, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, he had a great emerging uh, jazz program at the time. Uh, it wasn't as big as it is now, but it was, you know, definitely great. And I did the same thing when I got to college. I, you know, Saturday nights, if the music building was open, I was shedding, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, another thing I'll say that I did that maybe, maybe some people do. I think a lot of people are hipper about that these days is, I took whatever gig came. I mean, whatever gig. I literally in college played in a legit reggae band. I don't mean like like frat boys that wanted to play Bob Marley tunes. I'm talking about a dude from from Jamaica that had moved to North Carolina. Nice, like legit. I played in a uh, steel drum band, soca like uh, soca steel drum band. Of course, of course, by default, I ended up I was playing in small combos and big band in college. I had an R and B band because I grew up with that stuff. I kind of mentioned that with the James Brown and you know, and the Al Green and those things. Like I ended up uh, in an R and B band there, which is a great R and B band. I think it might still exist. It's one of those bands that kind of started and like just kind of has existed with different members forever. It's called Cold Sweat. Nice. You know? Of course. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I really did like every kind of gig I could possibly get my hands on. I did, um, the, one of the ways I, I put money in my pocket was to play like a jazz brunch with a piano trio every Sunday. So I, you know, so I don't know if that's like a revelation to anybody that's listening, but like that's basically my thing was like, try to keep the sticks in your hands. It's way before I heard Weckl say that, but sure. it's like, Hey, if I'm, you know, if I can, and it, I know it kind of sounds mercenary and I know a lot of people take it that way. I know, um, 
years ago when I first moved to New York, the, the term mercenary, when you'd look in the back of the village voice for music gigs and they go, no mercenaries. And, you know, kind of look down at like, why would you want to make money by playing music? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I do get that aesthetic to it to a degree, but, um, I basically tried to keep my hands busy and my brain, musical brain, everything as busy as I possibly could. And if I could make some money, I did a lot of gigs that didn't make any money but mm-hmm. just because I wanted to do them. Uh, when I got out of college, uh, I ended up in, I guess I want to say, let's just call it a pop band, but it was a cover band who was dedicated to playing nothing but stuff from the 70s. But uh, it was called Mr. Potato Head. And I believe it still exists, actually. Nice. I inherited the gig from a very, very close friend of mine who's, who was a great drummer and still is a great drummer uh, named Morgan Davis. And he, um, it was really cool. That is where I learned how to play pop music, like really study what made pop music pop music. Right. And I really study like just simple things like, you know, verses and choruses and different grooves. Like, and they played, like, when I said 70s, I don't know what popped into the listener's mind, but. It was Jackson Five. It was Steely Dan. It was P Funk. It was uh, what was some other things? Uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, mm-hmm. Stones. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, basically playing any of that Steely Dan stuff when you've just played like a Stones tune, and then you're playing the Purdy thing, and like it really just on the on the body of work where you had to learn that stuff. That was a great education. Yeah. Especially kind of coming from like a haughty jazz head that I had become in college. Right. And sitting down and going, these guys aren't messing around. They know this stuff cold. There's a big difference between playing a band that kind of plays around doing R&B and going, no, we're playing this P-Funk tune like it is on the record. And the right. keyboard player has the Moog stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and St- oh, Stevie Wonder. Oh, my God. The Stevie Wonder stuff was a revelation going, wait a minute. Stevie played these drum parts? Is that why <laughs> yeah. I can't make it feel like that? Because that's the most unorthodox. Right. Almost, I almost cursed on your podcast. You can curse on um, the podcast. We, we encourage that kind of behavior. I was like, oh my God, this is the most unorthodox shit I've ever <laughs> How is he doing that on the hi-hat? I can't make it feel that way, you know? Right. right. Then, of course, you hear Bernard Purdy and go, I can't do that yet, but I understand what I'm going for. Mm. You know, mm. you want to go to school on hi-hat, just listen to all the Purdy. You can. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. When, and of course, you say, I'm in New York and just freaking out going, oh, my God. It's what's like that? I never thought I was going to. And then flash forward meeting him in New York and like on an almost semi-regular basis seeing him and going, oh, my God. Yeah. My life didn't turn out that bad. I get to see Bernard Purdy every other day. Yeah. That, yeah. You can't, can't argue with that. Man. And just like watching him play in person is just it's so much. I mean, it's amazing to begin with. But then seeing it in person, you're just like, man, this is. This is the real deal. It just oh, you're like yeah, you're like he sounds exactly like Bernard Purdy, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> we went to see Steve Gadd play with Chick Corea, and we sat right. Do you know Daniel Glass? Do you know him? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, we were at the Stabian Hang. Uh, was that last night? Tuesday? Yeah. No. Uh, it was the night before last. We had the Sabian Hang in New York, and oh, okay. uh, I, I I've been actually a fan of Daniels for a long time, and I, and we actually got to meet for the first time. But yes, awesome. anyway, yes. Uh, he's a great dude, good buddy of mine, and great we went- dude and like really wide scope man. He's you know he sees a lot and he and knows you know very deep. If yeah, you start talking to him and you realize like he has so much knowledge about right. uh, just about drums and where they came from and the entire history of the instrument. 
and how it coincides with American history. It's just like really fascinating. Oh, stuff. you know, it, it is really fascinating. And we, we of course fell down the New Orleans rabbit hole when yeah, we, we were talking about New Orleans. And- yeah. Yeah. He, Daniel definitely knows his stuff. Um, so, oh, so we went to see, we went to see Steve Gadd play with Chikoria and we sat right behind him and like I've, how many times I've seen Steve Gadd play and, you know, listen to him and all that, but sitting that close to him and just watching it go down, it's just, it's on, it's just a whole nother level. And you're like, I can go back mm-hmm. to the practice room and I can shed all this Steve Gadd stuff and it'll sound like, okay, you know, but like, <laughs> it's just never going to sound like Steve Gadd, you know? Oh it's yeah. Just, it's just amazing guys that can play like that and have that, you know, just that definitive sound that just it's it, it can't be replicated. Yeah, it's uh, you know I, I've I've been thinking about that a lot lately too about how I keep going back to the whole like I love that I've played a lot of different kinds of music, but I often resent that. I shouldn't say resent, but I often wish that I could just sit in side these one or two things that I've always loved to do and really, really just get deep, deep inside of just that. Right. You yeah. know, and and I'll be honest. I mean, the and I'm sure maybe some people listening will re, uh, relate to this, and some people won't. But I, one thing I will tell younger players, or, or you know, I would say younger. I don't mean we're not talking about kids in you know elementary right. school, but you should shed like you. There's no tomorrow because when if you are lucky enough to actually start gigging and doing a lot of different stuff, you're not going to be able to work on those fundamentals. You're not going right. to be you because you're going to be learning the music for the next gig you're doing mm-hmm. and that you do not have time. You're not going to have time to, you know, rudiments and, you know, getting your foot together and, you know, you're not going to have any of that time. You're just going to be functioning. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had a professor in college or uh, somebody came in and did an artist in residency in college and they said, listen, you'll never have more time to shed than you have right now in college. So amen. Shed. Brother. That's just shed. That now. Is not a lie. He, he ain't lying. That is absolutely true. And I often wish that I had a little more solid education in terms of, you know, having someone, you know, showed me that way earlier, mm-hmm. you know, when I just grew up in a small town that didn't have that, right. you know? Right. Um, but, um, I mean, in that, uh, you know, when I moved to New York, you know, that became a thing where I was like, wow, I've got to find a place to shed because, you know, anywhere you looked, you would just run into guys. Oh, God, I mean... I don't know if you've ever um, had Brian Dunn on a podcast from um, Hall and Oates. No, I haven't. I would love to, but I haven't. Uh, I, well, you know who I'm talking about. Brian yeah, yeah, is a yeah, killing, killing drummer. And like, I met him when I moved to New York, and we're all trying to pay our bills. And I was playing in a wedding band, and I saw him in another wedding band. I'm like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> and you'd see like this guy's all the time. Like this guy is unbelievable. Yeah, you know, um, people knock really, wedding bands a lot, but that's a great way to learn a lunch, a bunch of styles too. If you're lucky enough to be in any, like I keep uh, mentioning that Mr. Potato Head was like a big, Mr. Potato Head was a huge education in not just playing at something, but going, no, we do this correctly. Right. Like we're coming from the real stuff when we play this. We're not just doing our half-ass version of it. Like we're doing that we're doing thing. This to do and, it. And no yeah. one can, no one can replicate completely, but you know, I'm talking about being held to that standard. Right. And if you're in any, you know, wedding band that's lucky enough to have players that, you know, that even if they're not playing their favorite music, they're committed to going, Hey man, this is a swing tune and by God, it's going to swing. Right. And you know what? This is a rock tune and it's going to rock. And this is a dance tune and it's going to groove, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, that's a thing I know. I've noticed, uh, that's the big thing I've noticed with a 
big difference between A-level players or people that are going to be A-level players and people that aren't. It's like they never turn off that that governor of like, hey, it's going to be right. You know, right. it's not right. like never playing anything that you don't care about. You know, when you talk about this and this may sound like a dumb question, but when you when you were saying that you were learning all these tunes and you were really getting inside of this stuff and really studying them, how do let's unpack that a little bit. Like, let's let's dig into that a little bit, because I we talk a lot on the podcast about like, I mean, I really got deep into this stuff or, you know, I was really uh, like really learned this kind of style or that kind of style. But what does for you? What was that like? Were you were you? you know, going through every song a hundred times, were you slowing it down? Were you analyzing each part of the tune? Like what? And I know this is really like boiling it down to like, you know, no, it's a great question. Uh, and I would say, I would say if you're learning, if you're trying to learn uh, a style and I'm, when, when I say a style, I don't mean like an entire genre of music, but just let's say a feel that you're not familiar with. My very first thing would always be like, how does this feel? You know, here's a good mm -hmm. example. Uh, that Aretha Franklin stuff that, that Purdy was on, mm -hmm. like, you know, that's got not only is it everybody knows a golden groove, but it is a very specific feel Yeah. to that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could say groove is such a big word. And you go, well, does that apply to it applies to P-Funk? It applies to, you know, Dirty Dozen Brass Band. It's like it, it applies to everything. But how first of all, you got to pull the camera way back and think in generalities of like. How does this feel and why don't I feel that way when I'm playing? So then you get closer and go, ah, well, okay. So he's not, maybe if you're coming from more of a rock thing, you go, well, maybe he's not hitting the hi-hat as hard, or hard as I normally do. Or maybe uh, what about the style like, oh, see, the ghosted notes aren't quite as loud. Or, hey, his backbeats are almost always like, here's a, like if you're listening to Steve Jordan, <laughs> it's going to be like, hey, right. maybe my, all my backbeats should be. And, uh, oh, maybe when I hit the cymbal, it's not like full out, like, you know, metal volume. Maybe there's some light and shade in that. You know, mm -hmm. it's a lot of different kind of stylistic things. And uh, and ironically, coming from kind of more of a, I guess rock guys would call this more of a of a, a foofy, like the, the jazzy, uh, you know, people that aren't don't play jazz always use the word jazzy wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like all these little, you know, chatty subtleties that you're going to hear out of a David Garibaldi or a, or a Bernard Purdy or something. I remember he's a good example, again, going back to Mr. Potato Head, where you have to realize if you're the kind of player that's coming from that type of playing, mm -hmm. you also have to pull the camera back and go, why don't I sound like X when I'm playing? Well, you need to take some of that stuff out. Yeah. You know, it's, yep, it's yep. so, so it, it cuts both ways. And I've, I'll freely admit, I've been the guy who's been on certain gigs, even professionally early on where it's like, oh, these guys are used to meat and potatoes and they need to be kicked that way. And none of this stuff, not only does it not matter, it actually distracts them. Like that's just not part of this style. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, um, a, there's some self-awareness that comes along with that too, of just, sort of keeping an eye on what's going on and, and how people are reacting and how it feels like you could tell when it doesn't feel right. Like it feels like nobody's plugged in, you know, it like, sure. You know, and I, you know, I just, so that I'm like equal opportunity uh, offender, like it's, I noticed that a lot of times when you're someone who's trying to get into more intricate playing, you have to learn things and realize things. But I've noticed 
fairly often I've noticed guys that are like kind of accomplished players, really probably technically, not probably, definitely more, more accomplished than I am. But, and they're like, oh man, you know, I'd love to get into what you're doing and your pop gigs and these rock gigs and things like that. And I hear them play and I'm like, yeah, but you gotta, like, I don't, it doesn't feel like they've really committed to that. Right. It's almost like they've kind of gone, you know, oh, I, I learned this somewhat, mm-hmm. you know, and like really, you know, it's, and, and no one can do everything. Let's face it. You know, that I remember, uh, seeing Kenny Ernoff in a clinic and he had, had the best, he, he had the best line. He said, we should all be as versatile as we can be, but where you're on a gig and you're the guy that's the chameleon and that you're the guy you're playing with. He used the, the example of like real authentic blues guys. Mm-hmm. He goes, you defer to them and you do, you humble yourself and you do the best you can, but you defer to them because they live in that pool. Yeah. You're just taking a swim, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. they live in that pool. Of course. So like I've learned that try, I try very quickly when I first get a gig to go, all right, if obviously you should hopefully know what the gig's about way beforehand. <laughs> um, but if, you know, get, take a temperature in the room and go, Am I giving these guys what they're used to hearing? Or you can tell by certain comments and certain things like, oh, they're really geared toward this kind of thing. And, you know, you try to try to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but uh, we were getting back to like when I first moved to New York, I, I learned that lesson. I got uh, I joined a band that was uh, about to be signed to Interscope. And it was kind of that grunge style, like in the late 90s. And I remember going, hey, I got to learn how to slam this and like kind of lose that other persona and just do this, you know? Right. And, you know, going back to Brian Dunn, I haven't had a chance to dig into the Modern Drummer article, but my friend Brian said this, and it's, this is a brilliant thing. He like, when you're on the gig, don't worry about, don't worry about anything but playing the gig that you're on. Like he's, he's like, do you don't, you'd never bring all this other stuff into that gig. Now, if it's obviously if it's a creative situation where you're trying to mix it up, that's one thing. Of course. But, uh, and I'm sure you've seen this. We've all seen it where you see a guy on a gig and you go, he's playing stuff that's not in this genre mm-hmm. and it's not genuine. And, it, and it's like an old friend of mine used to say, he sounds like he's playing with an agenda Yeah. as opposed to play his only agenda should be making that band and that song sound good at that moment. Right. Yep. no other agenda you know the guys just you know show up with their with their quote-unquote toolbox and they have all their you know they have all their things in there and they're like all right well i'm gonna pull this thing out and use it on the gig and it could be a jazz gig and then they're like i'm gonna pull out my my rock fills or you know i'm gonna pull out this these licks that i have or whatever it is and like you said it's not you know it's not on point with the genre it's it's contextually doesn't really make any sense. I always equate it to us, you know, having a conversation like this and then, you know, you say, yeah, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go down the street here and, and I'm going to get something to eat. And I'm going to be like, yeah, man, I need a hair dryer too. You know, and <laughs> exactly. It's like, what? what? Exactly. <laughs> you know, or just throw like some big words out, you know, <laughs> Like most yeah, indubiously, exactly. yes. Let's you know, and then you're like, well, are you just trying to say big words, or are you, you know, are you really that intelligent? You know, that's really funny. A lot of people, I think, equate New Orleans music with uh, sometimes simpler stuff, and it's funny because uh, whenever I'm down there, I try to take a lesson with Shannon Powell. Who, if if you guys yeah. listening don't know who that is, definitely check Shannon Powell out. Oh my God, that is Shannon Powell is the truth. Um, he plays 
lot. Well, he's he's kind of a legend in his in his own right, but you he plays with the Preservation Hall jazz band a lot. And one thing I noticed when I see him play, and like it's not that he doesn't, man, his brother has chops. I mean, he's he's the grandfather of all of that shit. But mm-hmm. he his most amazing things is when he's playing the simplest idea to get you to the next spot or whatever. It's always be- brilliant and beautiful. Yeah, and it's almost like I remember a Wynton Marsalis quote. He said it's like a lot of times real, uh, real authentic uh, American music comes from it's speaking from on high in the language of the low, meaning that you can say profound shit very simply. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. about where you drop that word or how you say that and what you're addressing and like, you know. It's I've I've found, you know, it's just the old adage, you know, any 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 great drummer will tell you, like sometimes when it's time to go into the bridge, sometimes all you need is a placum. Right. That's it. Sometimes that's all. And if you if you put it, if you place that exactly right, boom, like why would you ever want to say it any other way? I have. I've said this numerous times about uh, the first Counting Crows record, August and everything after is my favorite record of all time, which is a crazy thing to say because it's like it's not like this big, huge, you know, why well, it was a huge record, but it's not like musically all crazy. But Steve Bowman's playing on the record and the song right. structure and everything. I mean, he does some fills that are just like, like you said, it's just like, bloom, 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 bloom. And they're like huge oh, yeah. because he, oh, yeah. he makes like everything he plays is a statement it's never overplayed it's so like everything is refined and getting to that level i think is that is something that that i think everyone should strive to is just being able to say a lot less or a lot more but a lot less oh yeah and every monster drummer that anybody ever talks about can do that Mm -hmm. you know i mean and that's that's like a big thing you know but um but I guess, you know, ta- speaking stylistically, I mean, that's, I guess that's what's allowed me to do a lot of different kinds of things. I mean, when I moved to New York, I paid the bills however I could with singer-songwriter, you know, sessions, when that was a thing, right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, wedding bands, um, whatever came along, you know, mm-hmm. um, I actually was lucky enough to start getting into subbing a lot of Broadway. I've done a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been pretty varied. I've been lucky, but it's like being able to do those things has been, has what's enabled me to just kind of, you know, function in a lot of different situations, you know, right. I don't, but, but, but the downside to, to go to my original thought right at the beginning of the podcast is that I feel like as to use that Kenny Aronoff quote, I feel like I'm always the guy that's just swimming that day. I'm not the guy that lives in that pool. Right. <laughs> you know, when I'm in a Broadway pit and I'm subbing a Broadway show, I'm not the guy that lives in that pool. And I'm playing with guys who do live in that pool. Mm-hmm. And then I'm touring with Avril and I'm going to catering with like every other, you know, current, you know, Bruno Mars and everybody else. And I'm like, yeah, no, you know, I live in that pool you know, for a year or two at a time. Right. And then I live something else. <laughs> and then I do it again a year after. And, you know. I don't don't think that's a bad thing. It really isn't, but it's just a strange, it's a strange existence. Sure. Sure. You know, it's it's a little different than most guys, you know, most guys that I know. Right. You know. We'll be back with Rodney in a minute, but first, a quick message from our sponsors. 
Did you know that the drum program at Musicians Institute offers a wide range of drum elective courses, which will help you optimize your learning experience? Dig deeper into specialized areas of focus like gospel drumming, New Orleans drumming, e-drumming, transcribing, hand drums, cajon, and even Ableton Live. These electives are taught with passion by the expert faculty at the drum program at Musicians Institute. And these guys are actually out there doing this. You can learn more about these programs and all the great programs at mi.edu. DW has been a sponsor of this podcast for over two years. Why? Because they foster initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. They've been in business since 1974. They're in the heart of California. They started in Los Angeles and are now in Oxnard. And they have been great supporters, not only for this, but for drumming all around the world. And I encourage you to learn more about DW as a company, learn more about their products, and learn more about the history that they've added to this great drumming community by going to DW Drums. If you're gigging, touring, or always on the road, you can keep the drumsticks at your side with Promark's new premium stick bag. Now, each style adds convenience both on and off stage. The Transport Deluxe features ample stick storage, metal hanging tom mounts, and leather interior pockets, while the Silver Essentials bag features room for pairs of sticks, a drum key pocket, and metal hooks to hang from the floor tom as well. They're made with durable, waterproof nylon and synthetic leather. These bags are built to keep up with the drummer who's always heading to the next gig. Check out these great stick bags at Promark.com. Now let's get back into it with Rodney Howard. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk talk business side of things, career. Um, one, I'm really interested one how the how the Avril gig came about, and but not only that, but like how things really started happening for you and how you started getting out of you know playing in smaller bar bands and things like that and, and really getting serious work, getting touring work and all that stuff, because that is on the minds of the listeners. They ask about it a lot. Um, and so I'm just, I'm always interested to hear because there's, there's no, there's no one way to do things. So I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Well, I'd say the golden rule with that, uh, it's kind of goes back to, you know, the musical reasons for always giving your best are obvious, but, uh, it's kind of a silly, you know, dad thing to say, but you never know who's listening. Mm-hmm. So never phone in a gig ever. And if you're playing in a band that happens to be not your favorite style, but because it's not your favorite style, maybe you're not as strong I mean, make it, make it stronger because, uh, the very first, she wasn't a huge artist. The very first like actual tour I ever got was because I was subbing for Anton Fig in this uh, band that they had on Monday nights at this club in New York. And, you know, we, we were blowing. It was basically a blower player's hang, you know. Right, right. And uh, this artist named Ruth Gerson heard me, and she really loved it that night. She came and said, hey, I would love for you to, you know, to, to go on this short tour with me. And she wouldn't have done that if I had been hamming it up and kind of, oh, it's just my friends. We're just blowing. Let's blow a bunch of, you know. Let's yeah. just blow all of our chops and whatever. Everybody was trying to play music and it, you know, it worked for me. So that's the first thing is no matter who you're playing with or for, like make sure that you are treating it like it's Grammy night. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. now, that doesn't, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you can't have fun and, you know, of course hang and, you know, but, but like always do that. I mean, so some people don't need to be told that, but I think, uh, you know, you just never know how that's going to go. Um, so that was the first thing that kind of happened for me. I was in that band I mentioned before that that was um, on Interscope, but that turned out to really go nowhere. Um, 
and we never really did any significant amount of touring. And uh, I did all the things that I mentioned around that time. I was playing, I was selling a lot of shows. I was doing sessions. I was uh, playing with singer-songwriters. And it just so happened that I started playing with a singer-songwriter named Gavin DeGraw. And uh, I don't know if anybody here, anybody on the podcast would know, uh, but uh, the guitar player Oz Noy. Yeah, of course. Was the playing duo with him, um, and long story short, he decided to put a band together around him. And uh, Gavin's manager at the time was trying to get him a record deal. Um, long story short, I played with him, uh, you know, little gigs all around the city. Whenever he was playing, we did a steady Monday night at his manager's uh, bar slash restaurant. Um, it was kind of a cool performance space, mm-hmm. um, and that was how that first came about. I. Uh, I was busy with some other things around the time that Gavin actually started touring and I did not go out with him for the first few months. I was actually doing a short tour with, um, someone else. Uh, Lorenza Ponce was a, um, the violinist fiddle player with Cheryl Crow at the time. And I was out doing something with her and they remembered that they liked my playing and they were recording, um, and, a, an acoustic live uh, companion to the Chariot CD. And they asked me to do that part of the record. And when I did the session, they said, we want to come out on the road. So I did. Mm-hmm. And this goes right back to, wow, I've been playing a certain style. I, at the time I was playing like Lion King and Hairspray and, you know, as well as doing like my jazz fusiony gigs around town and this kind of stuff. And uh, I had to remind myself like, whoa, I'm on big, like we're on big stages now and big notes are going to count more. And this is the way these guys are playing this stuff. And, you know, you know, it wasn't the way we played it back in the day when you're playing a small room, you know, sure, sure. so big adjustment. And, uh, I was lucky enough to have, uh, friends on the gig that would, you know, made, help me make the adjustment. And again, you know, you want to bring your best every night. It turns out, uh, we got, I think it was a two or three week leg of the tour where we were opening for Avril Lavigne. And, at that time, Gavin was on a real serious rock kick. Like he didn't want to sound like a piano singer songwriter. He wanted that shit to rock. Right. And, <laughs> and so you when know, you started with him, you yeah. were he like you started with Gavin DeGraw before he was Gavin DeGraw, right? I yeah, I literally was in the first band. I mean, unless you count, I guess if you don't count the bands that he was in when he was in high school, if he right. was, I don't even I know if he was. Okay. We were the actual first band he ever had where it's like full out bass, drums, guitar, pianos, I got everybody it. singing. I got it. You know. Um, and you know, I don't know if this has as much to do with the podcast, but, um, I also, uh, a big part of my earlier career was big that I sang and played that helped a lot in the, wow. all the way back to the Mr. Potato Head band when you're trying to cover Jackson five tunes and you're singing, trying to sing like Jackson five and played those syncopated drum parts. <laughs> Not That's easy. A thing. That is a thing. Talk about shedding. But anyway, uh, Avril heard me play with Gavin. And she approached me a couple of times on the tour and just said hello. And it was by no means a big hang. It was just a hello, how you doing? How's the tour going? You guys sound great. Thanks for opening for us. She was super, super cool, super sweet. And um, I ended up getting a call from them very much later. Uh, We had come off the road with Gavin and I was touring with Regina Spector. And uh, I actually got, I have to give him a shout out. I'm sure he's never going to hear this podcast, but uh, my brother, Dean Adele, who's a great bass player here in New York City, um, um, had somehow 
connected with her management and he needed to put the band together around Regina Spector. Again, ironically, the first time she'd ever gone out with a full band. Um, and I'll, I'll skip that part for now, but that was very different going from playing, you know, little uh, smaller arenas and stuff and, you know, full out sheds with Gavin DeGraw and then playing with Regina Spector. If you guys know anything about Regina Spector's music, it, it's it's she's an amazing, amazing artist with a capital A mm. a profound, just, you know, amazing. And like the kind of the kind of artist where when you're playing, it's the most conscientious kind of thing where you go, I would not want to play one ding or thump or stroke anywhere that's going to get in the way of what she has going mm-hmm. on. So it was extre- extremely different kind of music. I was out on tour with her and I got uh, a few days off and I got a call from Avril's management saying, uh, Avril's looking to put together a new band and she specifically said she wanted you to come and they're doing, as it turned out, it was a, it was a LA cattle call. It was like, <laughs> it Oh was really? Like, and she said, uh, we know you're on tour with Regina, so we realize you, we're just going to save you for the final round of auditions on the last day. And uh, I'm not going to name any names, but oh my God, I went, I, it, it turns out I had literally 48 hours of a break in the Regina tour to jump on a plane, fly out from, I think we were in Minnesota, and not to mention trying to shed the Avril stuff on the road, which is a whole different, oh my God. There's no way to keep going from the quietest, uh, you know, tour you've ever done to like playing the loudest music you've ever played. I want to put a thumbtack in that because I want to come back to that and and talk about learning the tunes. But go ahead. I'll I'll try to truncate this because I know I know we're good. Um, Anyway, um, I literally had 48 hours and I learned the tunes as well as I could and including the background vocals. And another thing. Uh, I tried to do, I won't get too deep into, but we're all familiar with it now. Years ago, it was kind of novel, but the whole thing of trying to replicate drum machine parts on a live kit. Mm -hmm. So things like playing shaker in the right hand and putting a splash cymbal on your, your second snare drum and maybe playing a baby kick and trying to replicate that smaller, tighter, compressed sound that you would hear on a lot of those records at the time where maybe the entire first verse was a full out groove, but it wasn't necessarily... Acoustic a, drums, you know, a, an acoustic rock, you know, it's that right. kind of thing. You hear that compressed drum machiney thing for the entire first verse until the the obvious, you know, pow of like the rock drums come in for the chorus, you know. Mm-hmm. But I worked really hard. I fortunately I had been doing that kind of thing, going back to the wedding band, that kind of thing a lot. I'd done that like crazy. It's like, yeah, we didn't have, we didn't use uh, SPDs and anything like that. We didn't have electronics. So I would replicate that stuff that way. Right. As close as I could. Sure. Well, that's what I brought to the Avril audition. I, I brought uh, my toys and my, um, you know, my splash cymbals and my shakers and everything. And uh, I, I won't name the names, but I was freaked out when I was outside and I heard some of the guys that were auditioning. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Like, like some of my, yeah, some dudes where I was just like, what? <laughs> uh, but long story short, turns out that it was a good combination. She liked, she loved my playing. She loved my vibe. Uh, she definitely loved that I could sing. As it turns out, she hired a band of great singers. Everybody in that band could sing their asses off. Turns out I didn't have to sing nearly as much because everybody else was, you know, covering so much of the thing. Right. But the big thing she told me years, about a year later, or when we were actually on the tour, she goes, I was really impressed that every other drummer showed up and assumed that there would just be tracks. And I don't like that. And I don't use tracks. And I don't want to use tracks. And 
you actually represented the parts that were on the record. I'd never seen anybody do that. Now, in all fairness, you and I are drummers, and we've, you know, we've seen every trick in the book, and there's nothing new under the sun. But she'd right. never seen anybody do that, and she uh, thought that was really cool that when we played, you know, her her songs that that had the the compressed drum machiney parts, that it was actually actually represented without any need for any technology. It was just represented musically, right, right. And then you know, and um, so that was a thing, and I ended up uh, was you know I've been with her for ten years now awesome that's awesome so so that was great and uh you know so i'm i don't want i want to stop there because uh, i've done a lot of other gigs in between i actually went back out on the road with gavin DeGraw for a while i was i was actually they were on separate record cycles so i was touring with her and then going right oh, back that's out convenient. and then oh it was great for a while till their record cycles lined up <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and of course i did uh, last year i did the uh, talia tour which i don't know if you're if you don't live in a Spanish-speaking country, you may not know as much about Talia, but no. she's basically the Madonna of Spanish pop. She's huge. Really? She's unbelievable. It's like a whole other level of, uh, of, of playing pop, you know? It's so amazing um, it, that there's so many artists that can be huge in, in other countries, and we don't know much of them here. But if you're huge here, normally, you know, if you're that big of a sensation, like like Bruno Mars right now, like they'll go all over the world and they'll play all over the world. But there was, there's an artist named Georgia who, who's in Italy. Uh, and years ago I was, we were talking to management and I was thinking about doing the tour and they said, well, they, she only tours in Italy. That's it. She doesn't go anywhere else. Are you okay with that? And I'm like, <laughs> for me, yeah, I'm like, I got a house in Italy. My whole family lives in Italy. Like, I'm like, that's, that's like, like the, what are you talking about? That's the upside. <laughs> yeah. That's the perfect situation for me, but it's just amazing that, you know, and she's huge, huge, but they're like, she only does it. She only tours in Italy. Well, you know what? Then you have a perfect handle on what that must be like. Like, well, I mean, I live in New York, so I mean, Spanish speaking people and you know, that's, that's no, no oddity in in New York city. Yeah. And I actually knew who she was cause she had a, a big uh, hit single um, in the late nineties that I remember. Uh, with, you know, that was actually, to my knowledge, we're going to her only Spanish speaking, um, I mean, uh, English speaking, uh, songs, but, um, yeah, I have a lot of friends actually that play with artists. I mean, you, you and I will have heard of them, but like, like my buddy Van Romaine who plays with Enrique Iglesias. Now everyone knows who that is, mm -hmm. but they will be doing huge tours where he, Enrique doesn't have a record out here. There's, you know, he'll tour for like, like crazy. You know, I'll be like, Van's just gone. He's, you know, <laughs> I haven't seen him in you know, like months. Right. And uh, he also plays with the German artist Nina. Do you remember? You know who, mm -hmm. you remember yeah, who yeah. that is? Yeah. He plays with her as well. Like she, she goes and it's almost exclusively Germany, but like, you know, huge tours and like, you know. I think Shakira I, 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 does that too. I does love it? to do that. Oh, exactly. She does exactly. like, she'll release a Spanish record or a record that's all in Spanish and she'll go tour to do that. And then she'll re release a whole nother one that's in English and tour and do that and like because brendan i know brendan who plays with her was yeah, also brendan doing on that gig a while right yeah and he was also doing these gigs where he would play like three nights in china right and then would like fly home for three days and then fly back to china every like every three days or something like that <laughs> oh my god but they would play in like these state like these huge stadiums like 50 60 000 people and he's like we would just do that like for the weekend and then i would fly home and then fly back out again yeah the shakira thing is out of control like that you know actually the md uh 
Shakira's MD, Tim Mitchell, is the guy that ended up being the MD on the Talia tour that I just did. Oh, really? So I would hear a lot of those stories, and I'm just like, wow. You know, the Avril thing was insane, but she was so established. Like, we would stay put. Like, we would we would go on promo tour. We'd go to Tokyo and literally stay in Tokyo for two and a half, three weeks, and maybe play like three or four times because there was, well, sometimes we would play like a show every day because we would mm -hmm. do the promo, you know, and sometimes we would go and we'd be there for like two weeks, but only play two shows because she had like interviews every day. So uh -huh. when I say that I'm grateful for my varied <laughs> musical experiences, like that's one of them, you know, right? that's right. amazing. So but anyway, you said you put a thumbtack in something. I wanted to give you a chance to go back to the and about learning the tunes. So coincidentally, so I, ju I just moved from the New York area and I'm here, I'm on the West Coast now. And I got... Uh, Still I, living out of boxes. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> close. Yes. Are you no, Well, luckily the movers unpacked the stuff for us. Oh, nice. But they put everything on the closest flat surface. So there's just like... Of course. There's things... We're getting close. We've been here. We've so been it's like you're living in the gap. Like everything's on a, on a table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> and everything's labeled so that's good um so i got here i got a gig um i got a gig friday but i got you know i i got the material yesterday it's 30 songs you know i gotta learn by I, what? by friday wow and Yikes. so you better get off this interview what's you that got shedding to do but, you better get off this interview you got shedding to do i know <laughs> So what my thing is, and I actually, uh, I've released, I'm releasing a podcast about it tomorrow, which will be, uh, last Friday when, when the people or two Fridays ago, when the people hear this, I'm trying to talk in future tense and past tense at the same time. I've so, heard you do that before on this. <laughs> that's what I do. Um, so, but the way, I mean, the way that I do it is I end up just like chunking the tunes together in styles and then making, you know, taking the whole set list, printing it out, writing down, you know, at least what sort of groove they are, listen to the music, figure out which tunes are really wonkier that like have some strong changes in them that I really need to go over because I'm not going to memorize 30 tunes in two days, you know? Right. So I'm of like, let me, oh God, no. let me just, because I've tried that. And then you get to the gig and you're like, uh, I, they all run together. So I just have a list and I'll say, okay, this is a, a slow shuffle or this is a train beat or this is whatever. Yeah. And yeah. then just sort of notate it. Um, but that's my system. I know that may be a crazy system or different system than other people. So I was curious how you learn uh, a lot of material when you're crunched for time or, you know, when, when you know, you got to really own it, but you, you don't have like the freedom and flexibility to spend three weeks learning it. Yeah, you know what? That's a great question because one of the the parts of being lucky enough to get a lot of gigs, regardless of what part of your career you're in, whether you're still doing wedding bands or whatever, or you're doing singer songwriter, or you're in five bands or whatever, is that you got to learn stuff fast, and it's not you don't always have the luxury of writing out a transcripted chart of everything. Right. So to answer your question, hopefully I can answer this shorter than I answered every other of your questions, is that. I, it depends on how much time you got to be smart about how much time you realistically have. That is the first 10 brain cells that you're going to spend on this project is figuring out how to spend your time. That is just a survival technique. And however much time how you much think time you have, have, cut it in half. <laughs> yeah, because guess what? The phone's going to ring yep. or your battery's going to die or something's going to happen. Of course, you got you got to plan for all that. For me, 
if I had to, like, let's just use your example specifically instead of being in generalities. If I were you and I had 30, what's it, Thursday? And it's, wait, it's already Thursday and you have the gig Friday? Yeah, Saturday. It's oh. gig Saturday. Oh, Saturday. Okay, so so you have uh, so you have two days. Uh, I would do exactly what you did. First of all, I would write, I would have tempos. I'd, might, I'd write the tempo. Mm-hmm. I'd write the feel. If there's any way... If I, as I'm listening to the material, um, is this all original material? Uh, 99% of it. Wow. Okay. Uh, no, let me, no, probably That's 80, heavy. 80, 85% of it. Well, I would, uh, if I would, if that were me, I would, as I'm listening to the material, I would go to the most difficult ones. And when I say difficult, I'm not talking about necessarily the fastest or the most technically demanding, but which of these don't sit on your ear or hands as easily as the others? Right. You know, because we all have our things, you know, mm-hmm. we, we all have our things that you, it doesn't matter what it is. We have styles. You're like, I'm less comfortable or whatever. And I would zone in on those and maybe spend more time and work on those immediately. Um, and then as you get into chart writing, I've gotten really good at writing charts either either really super specifically or just broad strokes. In other words, obviously you don't have time to write every nuance and every groove, but if there's a unison figure that everybody hits every chorus, you want to write that out because sure. if you're learning 30 tunes and you can remember that, then you're Herbie Hancock. <laughs> you know, if you need to go, "Oh yeah, I'll remember that." Right. Like you probably won't. God, I learned that lesson the hard way. I'm like, Oh, that's of course course. it's this, it's such an easy hit. Yeah. That that's, that's another skill I've noticed is like put yourself in a gig head of like, you're not in your practice room and your safe, you know, familiar practice room is your familiar drum sound and your familiar, everything feels normal. Imagine you're not that and imagine your hi hat stand is falling over and imagine everything that can go wrong on a gig going wrong. What are you going to do for yourself to maximize your chances of sounding decent on mm-hmm. the gig? You know, and that's what I do. I've really like I've never would be would recommend being one of those guys that can't play and can't use your ears. But if you if it's your job to deliver some material in a very short amount of time, you're really not doing yourself any favor by making a, an ego contest. Right. You got to make yourself as as you know. I mean, I've seen, again, uh, here's a great example, somebody like Kenny Aronoff, who's constantly playing new stuff all the time, and he has his way of scribbling stuff out. And I'd say when it comes to chart writing, if you're listening to this and you're not really that great at it, like you don't have to be, you don't have to be like a master transcriber. You have to be able to write it in a way that makes sense to you, mm-hmm. you know? And everybody has a different way. Yep. Um, I had... Um, I'm playing a show, is it Thursday? Tomorrow night, I'm playing a show with Steve Algieri, who used to be the singer for Journey. He was a singer for Journey right after um, Steve Perry. And he's doing all this Journey material that I'd never heard. It's not in my ears at all. I mean, I don't care who you are. There's some Journey in your ears. You've heard it sometime in your lifetime. But when you get to that stuff I'd never heard, and I was like, you know what? There's no way I'm going to write a fully transcripted part of this. So you just have to learn to hit the high spots. Mm-hmm. So a great way to do that would be like, again, if, 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 if I were you, I'd be like, okay, is this, I'll write the simple groove of what, what is the basic verse groove? What's the basic pre-chorus groove? What's the basic chorus groove? Right. And I just write that once. And then you just repeat however many, you know, mm-hmm. bars or whatever. 
And then, of course, any stops you'd write out and then any unison figures you'd write out. And I think uh, the most important thing, again, we're getting super logical, super basic logic is how does a song start and how does it end? <laughs> you know, like, you know, do I start it? Right. Or does does the guitar start it? And if so, do I need to count them off? You know? Right. And like, that's the basic thing I do. And then from there, it's all about your musical experience. Mm -hmm. It's all about how many ex musical experiences you've had that you can use as a, what's the word I'm looking for? You, words you could use as a template reminder for yourself. Yeah. yeah like yeah. if you're, like for me, a big thing going, again, going back to the first records in my house and like the gigs that I did, there's a certain couple of James Brown type grooves that, they come up all the time in pop music. They may not be exactly that groove with all the chatty Stubblefield stuff and everything, but they're the basic framework, and I know I can just write that really quick. Yeah. yeah and yeah. If, if you get if you get to like a section in the song that gets like that, I can just use that as shorthand. But everybody has their their own shorthand, yep. you know. Yeah. yeah, for, yeah. Some, for one guy, it might be a Lars Ulrich thing. You mm -hmm. know, for another guy, it might be a Steve Gadd thing. But whatever makes sense to you, just figure out your own little indexing system. You know, but right. God, thirty. 30 tunes by Saturday, man. Woo! I'm glad I'm not you. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's weird because I've played in so many I've played in so many bands where it's just like they just call tunes, you know, and like I played in a band for 7 years, we never rehearsed once. So, I right. I joined this guy's band and he's like I said, "So what? You want to send me like a song list or whatever, you know, whatever." He's like, "Nah, we'll just figure it out on the gig." <laughs> like, okay. Well, I mean, that and we rocked, too. you know. You know, that's a professional that's a professional tool that some people don't have. It's like you gotta have a, a sense of urgency or not. Mm -hmm. Like if the people that are doing the gig are not that stressed about it, then you have to expect that they're not gonna be expecting super stringent, you yeah. know, this or that. And then sometimes, you know, you get guys I've I've played many gigs with guys where their expectation was not in line with their willingness to help prepare me. Ah. Uh. You know, and that's a whole other we could have a whole other podcast on that subject where <laughs> I've actually gotten I've actually for doing like new gigs when I'm approached, I actually have a list of things like an email that I send out just a, a, a standard email that says I'm sending this standard email. This is not directed at you personally. This is just how I roll. Right. You know, if you want me to do your gig, this is what I require. And then, you know, and like, for instance, I need recordings and that, that doesn't mean give me a link to YouTube. Because right. that takes time, and that means more time I'm spending on your gig, which means that's less time I'm spending learning your music. Is this like a templated email? It's a templated email. It's like can you I, send it like, to me? Like, can I share it with people? Or is that not? Are you not cool with that? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll redact the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like there's financial things that I'll actually yeah like, if I, yeah I really, I, we don't need if that. I really want to play if I really want to play with somebody, I think they're awesome. Like I don't, you know. Whatever, like, I don't get too stringent about that kind of thing. Or if it's a kind of thing where it's a project where it's like, hey, we're not just hiring you. Like, we would like to maybe for this to be a group effort. And, you know, there's all different kinds of, you know, considerations you'd have for that. But, but yeah, one of the big things I've noticed people doing is, like, you have to get it to me. And you have to get it to me in a timely manner. It can't be, like, the day before the gig. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've got other, you know, I'm doing other gigs. I'm doing other stuff. Like, I need to show up and, and be set up for success. And if you don't care enough about your own music to help me do that, then, you know, either I can't do your gig or the price goes way up. Right. 
(laughs) (laughs) And and there are certain gigs I've actually, you know, hopefully politely and respectfully just declined saying, look, you know, I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I'm going to look bad, you know, and, and, you know, you look bad, you know, it's like you're not really – you know, obviously, if it's a bar gig and everybody's just having have fun, that's one thing. You know, I've had I'm not going to name any names, but I've played with at least one artist that people have heard of where he would just it's one thing to change things up before the gig. But like have an entire sound check at his disposal to run over, like maybe the song that he wanted to do. And then after sound checks over, go, oh, by the way, we're going to do this song. It's going to go like this. And then there's hits and then there's stops and then blah, blah, blah. And you're like. You know, you have to do it if you have to do it. If you're the, if you're hired to do it, you, of course you do. Right. But you just go. That's where logic comes into play and go, man. Sometimes a less talented person can sound better if they just use their freaking head. Yep. 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 About yep. doing things correctly, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can fall. You can fall to the other side. I've I've played gigs where people are a little over preparers. Yeah. When you yeah. go, guys. I uh, love you. You sound great, but I'm not going to spend four times the amount of time outside the gig as on the gig to do it. Like, yeah, we're all, you know, we're all solid musicians and we can leave a little bit to chance, but let's, let's get the broad strokes and let's mm-hmm. do the gig. Well, that was sort of, I mean, this, this gig that I'm having that I'm doing this weekend, it's, I, it's sort of like, I just moved to the area there. You know, I'm just trying to connect with some people. So I'm willing to, you know, charge a little bit less to, to sort of get my, you know, get in with a different scene and all that. So you just got to town, of course. Yeah. yeah. And then she's like, well, we want to rehearse too. And I'm like, well, we're, I'm not going to, we're, we're going to, you're going to have to pay me for rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. And like, plus like, Hey man, I'm still pulling my jeans off a very flat surface in the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that makes me sound like a jerk or not, but like, I was like, all right, I'll take a, I'll take a hit on the pay, but I'm not going to do like a four hour rehearsal and then do the gig. Well, you know, those are the kind of things that are different for everyone. And there's a different answer for everyone, but those are the kind of things where, you know, my very first comment when we started this podcast about keep the sticks in your hands as much as possible. Of course we want to do that. Mm -hmm. But as you get older and as you get into different areas, you know, you, you, there, there are gradations of that, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. if you want to, you know, here's a great example. Like, um, if let's say for instance, you're super established, but you love this certain kind of music and you're not in that scene at all, right? You are just not a guy who's thought of when it's in that scene, you might, Hey, in order to get in that scene, maybe you want to just, you know, maybe not worry so much about the money and really get that style under your hands and play mm-hmm. with some guys and do it. You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing too. You know, Jonah Hill was in that movie, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. And great movie. Martin Scorsese directed it and he wanted to work with Martin Scorsese so bad. He acted for free. Wow. So he did that. And that, well, he got, and legally they had to, they paid him 60 grand because of like the, whatever the, you know, the, probably the guild, the the guild. guild, Yeah. But he was like, I'll do it for free. I don't want any money. That's how bad he wanted to work with, uh, with Martin Scorsese. So there's, you know, even guys at that level are willing to, forego uh you know forego some money or something like that just to just to get in the door and and i'm willing i'm totally willing to do the same thing i'm just not willing to like you know completely kill myself to do it yeah exactly exactly no i i hear you it's it's definitely a thing i uh 
Well, you know what? The good news is this also applies to keeping the sticks, you know, in your hands because, mm-hmm. you know, are you are you better off, you know, not playing and, you know, not playing that weekend and, and or are you better off playing a gig that you're not quite sure about and it was a constant, you know, constant brain test of memory and everything else. It's like, you know, it's better to play, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it always is. I mean, I've I, – I'm not not to brag, but like I kind of am actually proud of this a little bit and and happy about it that I've literally I've come from playing like like the stadium in like Kuala Lumpur and then fly home and like once I get my sleep schedule back on maybe a day or two after you know playing in a in a bar yeah you know or playing in a club and it's like it's that's that's what you know mo- that's that's what people do if you like keep keep your musical mind and your mu- muscles you know going you know i mean it's like it's a very very varied uh incredibly different kind of playing and everything mm-hmm. but i i think it's it's way better to do that you know reminds me of i had lunch with ndugu chancellor and he was saying you know that people are people get into this position where they play some big gigs or something like that and then they'll look at all these other gigs like they're beneath them and they won't take them and then after a while, like more and more gigs start drying up because people are too proud to take this this bar gig or this wedding gig mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Right, He's like, right. man, I was going, I would be in the studio with Michael Jackson and literally leave and go to like play a cocktail, you know, to do like a, oh, yeah. a casual, you know. Back when like, I was doing loads of weddings, I would do that. I would go and I'm like, I would, I'd play with people and go, what? You just got back from what yesterday? Like, yeah. Whoa, wow. You know. But I mean, that's that's what players do, man. Yep. You know, that's what they do. One hundred percent. And uh, and it's also it's a kind of a testament to being a versatile player. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. really is. I mean, and again, I don't mean this to kind of. Uh, I definitely don't mean this to kind of refute everything we've just said and talked about. But just food for thought. Like I've also noticed, like wow, like I'm on a big Zigaboo kick lately, like you know, from the meters, and like I'm going, I don't know if you took you know the 30 year old zigaboo like would he be able to play a wedding you know, would, know. He, would he you know and, and the big question is who cares yeah. <laughs> like if you took john, feel. if you took john bonham and said john I, i'm gonna need you to do this gig it's gonna be everything from like you know funk to big band to bossa novas to you know yeah or you know bon jovi songs would you, he could he do it i bet no I bet he couldn't. Yeah. But who cares? Because those guys developed such a thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, such a specific, like, like a, an amazing, unique thing that is, will and always will be theirs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think even Zig more than any, I mean, not more than anyone, but even more so just like, come on. Yeah. Who cares if you could play a wedding gig or not? It would be the funkiest wedding in the world. Oh, God, my God. Well, see, now that would be worth having a bootleg of. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever heard those bootlegs of Van Halen playing cover tunes? No. In backyard, there's a, there's a bootleg of them playing. I'm just talking straight up covers. Like, really? As, yeah. Oh, I got to get it's that. Crazy man. I'm talking like Motown tunes and stuff. Nice, nice. Yeah. Have you heard the Buddy um, Rich funk record? What? No. Yeah. What? Yeah. I have. I haven't. Um. I'll, I gotta find it because I've referenced it a few times. Uh, I, I, f- I found no. like this this weird like <laughs> what's that? No, I said I should probably not comment on that. <laughs> I I just it's 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 interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Oh, here it is, right here. 
you actually have like a copy of that? Yeah. Yeah, I bought it. I found it. It's like some it's like some Is it like thing. was it a legit Oh, it's not a bootleg. It's 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 it I mean it's it's not an actual recording like a commercial commercially released like it's a bootleg. Yeah, it was that you know that Speak No Evil record? Yeah. The Buddy Rich one? Yeah. So, it was like in with that. It was like this other thing. I don't know. He's like playing all this crazy like backbeat stuff. Wow. Yeah. Damn, crazy. It's weird. Uh we were talking about the Bonham uh, Zigaboo thing. It's like it's so funny. It was I, I don't you probably know this, but a lot of people don't know that Bonham worshipped Zig, mm-hmm. worshipped him. Yep. And yep. if you listen to, you, did you know that? Yeah, yeah. So who? Some I didn't know that before I started the podcast. Someone told me that, and I forget who it was. If you listen to a lot of the Bonham stuff with that in mind, it, a lot of stuff makes sense, man. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yep. I, I know I kind of just like threw that out of like nowhere, but no, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a cool, it's a cool thing. If going off on tangents and saying random things were good, we, you and I could be the masters of podcasting. <laughs> the two of us together, we'd be like, oh, there's a plane. Look at that. <laughs> um, so what do you, let's talk about current stuff. Like, what do you have going on now? Who are you working with? I know. So what, where are you at with, with Avril? Are they, is she working on a record and are you allowed to Avril's, talk about that? Or? Av- Avril's working on a record. Uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners to this podcast won't know, but Avril, uh, contracted Lyme disease at, uh, during our last tour or in, you know, uh, I, as far I as we can I, tell during our last tour. I feel like I read that somewhere that she so was, right that she was now. Ill. There's a series of maybes. There's we're waiting to see when the record I've heard from Avril. She said basically like I'm definitely releasing a record this year, but we're finishing up this and that. And um, you know that's that's something that we're looking at. Also, there's a possibility. I just recently heard that uh, that we're going to be going out again with Talia. Cool. Um, later this year, and uh, that's going on. And and as, as far as right now, I'm doing what I normally do. I'm in a lot of different kinds of gigs. I'm, um, I'm actually subbing on waitress, the musical, cool. uh, for rich curio who, you know, wow. We didn't even talk about rich, rich, rich is an amazing drummer. Talk about a, an incredibly well-rounded guy. Um, doing that. And I'm playing with Steve Algieri, uh, with, from, uh, from journey. That's, that's been a great gig. And, uh, and just the normal thing, like, you know, singer songwriter projects here and there in the session sessions when they come along. And, um, and, uh, actually I've been playing, uh, with some friends of mine just doing some New Orleans stuff, you know, again, talk about bar gigs that are just fun, you know? Yeah. Was, that's just great. You know, loving doing that. That's been a blast. So where are and, you now? Are you in New Orleans or are you in New York? I'm, I'm actually in New York right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I you got spent, like I was, a, you have like, it looks like you have room. There's like space there. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm seeing my, uh, wow. Well, it looks like I got, well, actually, I am actually blessed that when we bought our place in New Orleans, my wife and I had well, we're, we're, um, intended to just basically make the entire move there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but she kept this very large, uh, it, it is an apartment, but it's like a two story apartment. Like nice. it's a huge place here, which, uh, what you're looking at now is like the drum room. I like it. Um, and it's like, it's, you know, Hey man, anybody that knows New York knows that that's nothing to sneeze at. Like that's oh, yeah. you know, to be able to play where you live and not, you know, have to traipse off to the music building or something or, mm-hmm. you know, buy, buy a, you know, buy a, a separate place or whatever is great. So, um, are I got, you in I Manhattan got, or are you outside of the city? 
Oh no, no, I'm outside of the city. Okay, okay. I'm outside. I'm, I'm actually in Brooklyn right now. Okay, cool. So, um, it's it's amazing that uh, I was having a great time in New Orleans, but I just started getting busier here. And uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I was lucky yeah. enough to set it up so that we could, you know, I, we were splitting our time between here and New Orleans. I'd say half and half, if not more, New Orleans. And then I got busy with a few things here. That, that, and then the Talia thing came along, and all the rehearsal, uh, the Talia rehearsals were here in New York. And uh, you know, I just got busy enough here that I haven't spent as much time in New Orleans. Right. You know, unfortunately, right. but. You know, I always make Mardi Gras if I'm in town. If yeah. I'm in the States, I'm definitely, you know, always Mardi Gras. I'm missing Jazz Fest right now, which kind of sucks. Yeah. But, you know, and French Quarter Fest, but uh, that's okay. But um, It's a magical town, man. It really You know is. what? It really is. It really is, man. You could just, uh, you, you could just, I uh, just go on and on about it. It's amazing. And not and like talk the, about I was going to say, not like, in bars, you know? the, but not like the <laughs> Bourbon Street, like beads, that kind like, Outside of even outside it, like it's just amazing, man. Like just, I think oh, that's yeah. my least favorite part is like walking down Bourbon Street, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of pride on Bourbon. There's still a lot of places. I mean, Pre- Preservation Hall is just off of Bourbon, but yeah. you're right. Like the exception, the exception is kind of the rule. <laughs> that, but when know. I say it's a magical town, I'm not. I don't want people to think that it's like this beer guzzling, like show us your boobs kind of beads reason of why I love New Orleans. I love New Orleans because like. Yeah, you can go to Preservation Hall or you can go to DBA or, you know, and oh, Lee yeah. for any of those places and like see some amazing music on your way out. Just take your beer and pour it into a cup and keep walking. And, you know, <laughs> it's just it's just a it's and the the history and the music. And it's just I don't know. It's a magical town, man. It really. Is. It is. It is the last. It is definitely the last city in the United States to be a truly different place. Yeah. Like, I, you know. Not to sound like a like like I'm bragging, but I have seen a lot of the United States mm-hmm. in touring, a lot, and and like you know I'm talking where I were you know where we were on just one small tour bus going through small places in the Midwest and the smallest cities you can imagine and the biggest cities and you know what that place is different. It's yeah. just different. It's got its own thing, and there's no you know it may not be for everybody as far as whether you would want to live there, but that is a different place. Yeah, it's you know, like a di- it's like a different world, man. It's amazing. You know, it really is, you know, but if you if you, I tell people if they're going to go, they better go now because it's after 200 or so years, it's finally really changing. Yeah. You know, I haven't been, yeah. I haven't been there in a few years, so I'll have to get you back. You got to go. I will. I definitely will. You got to go I for sure. Will. I know. Well, you know, it's that to know you got a whole different schedule now, but, uh, you know, and you're digging into things over there, but, yeah. uh, you know, you ever get there for jazz fest or something, or, you know what, even French quarter fest is a greater time to see like, you know. The more of a local, regional bands yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to get there. I mean, I've been to Jazz Fest, but I'm gonna get there again and or go, you know, go to Frenchman Fest or something. I gotta, I gotta get back. I travel a lot, so <laughs> I'll, I'll get there. I'm not too concerned with it. So if you well, if you ever do, you know, you can at least hit me and T both up and be like, where should I go and when is it? Of course, <laughs> <You know? laughs> I definitely will. I definitely will. Yeah, my man, I uh, I appreciate you doing this. It's been it's been a long time, sort of, to make this happen, but. Also, you and I have been, you know, knowing each other and, and trading emails and, and all that back and forth for quite some time now. But it's actually nice to just sit and sit and chat. And uh, I'm going to send you this picture of us under the hot stall. Under Please the, do. I found it. I found it. So, And I have to tell you, I don't know if I said this uh, off podcast or not, but I'm a big fan of the podcast. And like, I really dig what you're doing. I, I dig Thank the you. angle that you're coming from. For it's really, it's really great to just hear drummers just talk like we're hanging, you know? Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, and you and you definitely point point drummers in the right direction so that there's you know some information for listeners and some some context and you know I'm sure they're hearing different opinions from different guys mm-hmm. you know yeah but uh it's great man i'm a big fan so well, congratulations on that that's good and anything right. i can do to help 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 the cast i man i appreciate you know? that i really do it's it's something that it, it sort of is what i wanted when i was a kid you know like to try to find something where i could find the information that's not skewed so nobody ha- I, there's no agenda here or anything like yeah. you know so it's just like hey come on and let's talk about what it really is you know let's let's not let's not sugarcoat it and make it look pretty and and put lights around it like let's 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 have the the good the bad and the ugly of of this industry how it works and and you know give that to to up and coming drummers or drummers that are just interested in learning more about it well i agree man i mean i i wish i had had that and i'm not talking about the 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 young me in high school, I mean, the younger professional me that used to, I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking up to and romantic, but a lot of this stuff is overly romanticized to the point where I think it would be nice for me to hear at some certain points in my career that like, Hey, your favorite drummer right now that you didn't know about a year ago, guess what? He went straight from this gig to that gig. And mm-hmm. he does a lot of, I mean, this is not beneath him or he's doesn't consider himself to be a failure that he's not playing on the, you know, a top 10 record every week. Right. You know, there's, it's encouraging, man. It's a different thing. It's a different way for everybody. And you know, the less stigma and the more just cool. And as you well know, I think drummers got to be cooler than everybody. I think us drummers, we get this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my bass player bros. I love my guitar. You know, I love everybody. Like I really think drummers are always the coolest. There's no, like I always say, there's no like guitar sheds like there's no there's not five <laughs> guitar players hanging out like showing each other licks you know what i mean it's just not happening. yeah man. yeah and, and then say and actually sharing information like oh i'm not giving away my sound if i tell this guy what drum heads i'm trying right. or like right whatever with the way i do this or the way i do that you know right. it's great and right. drummers are awesome <laughs> right <laughs> and know? not to get too too deep into not to go off on a tangent like we tend to do but the one thing that i'm really I'm really passionate about is just pushing that message to change the narrative of what it means to be a professional drummer. You know, it's like, even if you have a day gig and play drums on the side, you can be a professional drummer. You can be successful. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be like you said, playing on a top 10 record every week and touring in front of thousands of people every single night or playing in front of thousands of people every night. It's like, however you define it is fine. So don't look at everyone else's situation and, and think you need to be doing that because it's either, it could be worse or better than you think it is. So just do what makes you happy and like, don't worry about what everybody else is doing. That's what I look That's at true, it. man. I agree. I agree hundred percent, you know, and especially these days where, I mean, you, come on, the music industry is harder than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Than ever been, and like there are just so many more ways. As my grandmother would say, so many more ways than one to skin a cat. You yep. know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just you know, mm-hmm. and I guess the big thing I would leave everybody with is that uh, my opinion, and I, I don't want to sound all new agey and everything, but man, just be open. Like I have gotten to do things, and I've stumbled on paths and opportunities that I never would have had. If two steps back in that story, I hadn't said yes mm-hmm. to doing something that maybe wasn't my thing or maybe wasn't my favorite or maybe wasn't my strength, you know? Yep. 
It's like, get out there and do it. You just, you know, the worst thing that can happen is that you have sticks in your hand a lot and you get better at your instrument in a way that you didn't know you were going to get. 100%. And you can know, like Steve Jobs said, you can only connect the dots going backwards. You can't do it. Whoa, I never heard that one. Yeah. Oh my God. I like that. Yeah. So like, great. like you said, you do this gig, it leads to this, it leads to this, it leads to this. You're never going to see that looking forward, but you'll see it looking back. So I'm with you on that. Wow. I dig that. Wow. I See that you, you even even you learned something on. <laughs> even I learned something. <laughs> or oh, to paraphrase and go to go back to Purdy when I'm watching Purdy on his on the uh, on his YouTube videos, uh-huh. and you go, "Oh my God, even Purdy loves Purdy." Yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves Purdy because he clearly loves Purdy. How can yeah. you not? <laughs> All right, we're going to end it, but I'm going to leave it with one note. So MySpace years ago, there was you had like the eight, like your top eight friends or whatever it was. Do you remember that on MySpace? I do. Oh, wow. You had like your top, you could I, choose I who it was. So our I publicist was like, you should put like who the five or 10 bands who you sound, you know, sound like. So that like. I, I hate this. This is what I hate the question that's coming. Okay. So, no, I hate doing this. So the guitar player gets in there and he puts all hot girls on the as the top eight and replaces all the bands and i'm like dude you know okay what we can leave that but i don't understand why you did it so then the publicist sees it and she starts freaking out and he's like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. let me just tell you he goes everyone likes hot chicks he goes even hot chicks like hot chicks (laughs) and the publicist goes all right you can leave it up you know i'd argue i'd go you one better i'd say especially hot chicks (laughs) Especially hot chicks, love hot chicks. <laughs> and on that note, we're, on we that are, note, uh, you won. You won the podcast, brother. You won. How did I you win? Won it. That last <laughs> one was that was a winner, man. Man, I I was I'm, bloviating about you know all other kinds of shit, and you just came with the hot chicks thing, and you won the whole thing. You even trumped my purdy thing. Damn it! I was rematch. I wasn't trying I to demand a rematch. I wasn't trying to one up you. <laughs> I'm a, I demand a rematch. You know, switch. You, you want me to change the schedule on this one again? <laughs> am I, yeah. Am I a one upper? I just maybe. I, oh, <laughs> oh no 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 no! It was a great one. Cool man. I love the challenge. Cool. Well, Rodney, I do. Uh, uh, seriously though, I do appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, man. I I respect all the things that you do. Congratulations on the success that you've had. Thank you for for being a listener of the podcast. And anytime you want to come back. Uh, I would love to have you, and hopefully we can connect again soon, man. Oh, I would love it, and let me just say uh, respect to you. You're putting you're putting a really positive thing out there, man. And there's, there's always room for that. And I, I, I'm, I am I really mean it. I'm a big fan. I you know, and anything I can do to help it, I, I'd I'd love to, man. So well, so thank great. You. Thanks a lot for having me, and whoever's stayed around this long and listening to it, thanks for listening. Cool, <laughs> Rodney. Thank you again, man. I appreciate it. Okay, brother. Cool. All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right. There you have it, folks, the one and only Rodney Howard. I hope that you enjoyed that. Also, wait, don't hit the stop button yet because I got something free for you. Don't forget, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash magazine, and that'll redirect you to Drum Magazine's website where you can get a free, free six-month subscription to Drum Magazine, both digital and print. If you're outside of the United States, you can only get the digital, but if you're here in the U.S., you can get print and digital 
100% free, no strings attached. So learn more about that and sign up, get it free. It's not going to last forever, but go to drummersresource.com forward slash magazine and you can start with those six free episodes right now. Also, if you haven't already, please leave a rating or a review. If you get value from this podcast, if you enjoy it, if you're listening to it every time a new podcast comes out, the least you can do is just leave a quick rating or review on iTunes. That helps the, the podcast show up higher in the ratings and lets more people learn about the podcast. So if you could do that, I would really, really appreciate it. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.